Day one. He watches. He waits. He sees something off in the distance. Is it? Could it be? No. He goes to bed with tears in his eyes. Day two. He watches again. He waits again. He hopes again, only to be disappointed again. He goes to bed with tears in his eyes. Day three. He watches. He waits. He sees. No. He goes to bed with tears in his eyes. And on it goes, day after day after day, until one day. He watches. He waits. He sees something off in the distance. Is it? Could it be? Yes. He laughs. He runs. Okay, you don't have to tell me. I know I look pretty silly running like that. Well, it's a wonder I didn't trip or have a heart attack or something. Pretty silly. Maybe more than silly. Maybe in some ways it was a little bit offensive. After all, this is God's house. People shouldn't run in here. Especially not the pastor and most certainly not during a worship service. I don't take that lightly, by the way. I don't want to offend But I did it in order to to put into perspective the parable that we're going to study today as an example of our hero's wisdom. Wisdom that is found nowhere except in God's revealed word. Wisdom that today we are describing as heroic Let's review our, our definition of hero. We're, we're in the middle of our, our sermon series about the life of Jesus, who is our hero. And the definition we're using for hero is this. Someone who, in the face of, of danger and adversity, or from a position of weakness, displays courage and the will for self-sacrifice that is heroism for some greater good of all humanity. Today, let's focus in on on just one part of that definition in the face of danger and adversity, because that certainly describes the circumstances under which Jesus many times told his parables. The parables are, are one of our best sources for his wisdom. 
Now, sometimes those parables were, were told in the, uh, in the safety of his inner circle of disciples. But many times, they were told in response to criticism or questions raised by the religious leaders of the day. That was the case with the parable that we're looking at today. Sometimes it's called the parable of the prodigal son, but but more recently, and I think more appropriately, it's becoming known as the parable of the lost son. Well, it's the third in a series of, of three parables that Jesus told. The first was the parable of the lost sheep, the second, the lost coin, and then this one, the lost son. All three of those parables were prompted by the same incident. We read about it in our uh, reading of the story this past week. It's from Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to hear him. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They were not at all happy about that. No self-respecting person would carry on that way, they thought. Certainly not someone sent from God, they thought. But Jesus knew what they thought. And so he told them some parables to show them that they were wrong. How do you think that worked out for him? Yeah, that didn't set too well with those religious leaders and put him in a, in a precarious position with them and these were not men that you wanted to get on the wrong side of. That's why we're saying that this wisdom is heroic because it was spoken in the face of danger and adversity. Now this was nothing new for our hero in his introduction to the, to the series, Pastor Bender reminded us that Jesus had chosen this way when he took on human flesh. And last week, Pastor Kaiser spoke about the worship that our hero received from those who witnessed his miracles and who loved him. And that includes us. But it didn't include the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They didn't love Jesus Not at all. They were offended by him, by the way that he welcomed sinners and and ate with them, and then defiantly told parables to justify his actions, to make their actions look foolish and petty. And this particular parable was especially a problem for them and, and hit them hard. Well, for one thing, It was wildly unbelievable in their estimation. It began with the most unlikely scenario of a son going to his father and saying, Dad, give me my inheritance. That simply would never have happened in those days because it was the same thing as as saying to him, I wish you were dead. No son would say that. And if, for some crazy reason, that did happen, no father would give him what he asked for. 
but rather that ingrate would have immediately and permanently been kicked out of the house, at least according to the prevailing wisdom of the day. But Jesus' wisdom is so much greater. And that's the wisdom that we pray for. That's the wisdom that we learn from. The wisdom that is not just from God and about God, but which also leads us into a deeper relationship with God as we better understand his nature. And specifically in, in this parable, we learn this about God, and this is one of the, uh, the blanks in your sermon outline, that in his wisdom, God forgets his pride. The father in the parable is, is patterned after our heavenly father. That earthly father demonstrates three ways, anyway, in the parable in which he forgets his pride. The first was, was when he kept looking for his son, and, and that Jesus wanted to, us to understand that is very clear, I think, from the fact that he saw him when he was a long ways off. That's the only way he would have been able to see him at a distance, if he was actively searching for him, the same way the shepherd searched for the lost sheep in the first parable, and the woman swept her house and, and looked for the lost coin in the second parable. So this man was not just sitting at home or maybe going off to work saying, well, if the boy comes crawling back, maybe I'll forgive him. No, he was watching. He was waiting. And when he saw him, he ran and embraced him. You know, this, this might have been the most surprising action in a parable full of surprises and perhaps the most offensive Because in those days, grown men did not run, ever. For this man in in his position to have done that would have been totally humiliating. But he didn't care. When he saw his son, he completely forgot his pride and ran to him. And the third thing he did was he threw him a party. You know, he could have tried to sneak him back into town, maybe hidden him away and at home in order to spare both of them further embarrassment among the townspeople, but he didn't do that. This occasion called for a celebration. So he didn't hide him. He celebrated his return. Do you see how completely unrealistic this would have been for the Pharisees, completely beyond their comprehension. Because they would have acted in exactly the opposite way, which was the way that the rules of their culture would have dictated. But this parable isn't about the Pharisees or their culture or their pride. It's about God, who forgets his pride and acts in love. St. Paul talks about that in today's epistle lesson from 1 Corinthians when he says, we preach Christ crucified. The stumbling block to Jews, like the Pharisees, and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called Christ 
the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus invites us to share in that wisdom, to become wise unto salvation, to learn from the actions of the lost son. Well, not what he did at the beginning of the parable with his blatant hostility towards his dad, but at the end, when he forgot both his pride and his shame. He forgot his pride, Jesus tells us, when he came to his senses. It's interesting how Jesus says that, when he came to his senses. In other words, he had been out of his mind. Well, pride does that to us. So when he came to his senses, he swallowed his pride. How come it took so long? He waited while his dad waited. He waited when he didn't have to, when when he shouldn't have. Why did he wait? Why do we? Sometimes we wait because we don't think our sin is so bad. That's pride talking. Sometimes we wait because we think our sin is so bad. That's shame talking. God wants us to forget both our pride and our shame. And let's see how that happened in the parable. After the the son came to his senses, he decided to go home. Well, he knew he was going to be faced with the dad. He didn't know exactly what attitude his dad was going to have. But so he had to choose his words very carefully for when he first met him. So he devised this speech, it's on the screens, I'll go to my father and say to him, Father, you see how he's forgotten his pride now, see, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but he had not yet forgotten his shame. He thought that he needed to come up with some plan to be able to pay his father back. So that was the speech he rehearsed, and I'm going to guess that that he would have rehearsed it dozens of times on the way home. This was the most important moment, perhaps, in his life. He wanted to get it right. So that's the speech he rehearsed, but it's not the speech that he gave. That comes two verses later. In order to to demonstrate the the difference, I'm going to ask you um, to read it along with me. So it's on on the screens. Let's read together. I will go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. What happened to the last part? He didn't forget it. He rehearsed it over and over again. He decided not to say it. Why? He was so moved by his father's show of compassion that now he forgot his shame. And he understood that his father wanted nothing more than for his son to return and for their relationship to be restored. He didn't have to do anything to pay his father back. His sin had been forgiven. He gratefully accepts this magnificent gift from his father. After which his father 
celebrates. The same way our Father in heaven celebrates. In fact, that's a common theme in these three parables in Luke 15. After the the first parable of, of the lost sheep, Jesus sums that up by saying, there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. After the second parable, he expands that a little bit, kind of gives the impression that that maybe the celebrating is uh, contagious because now he says there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Celebration. No pride. No shame. Just joy. Wouldn't you love to be a part of that? Aren't you glad you are a part of that? Can't really tell by looking at your faces. So let's go about it in a different way. If you're celebrating with God and with the angels, why don't you stand up and finish the sermon for me by saying amen. Amen. In the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.